no good. Worthless. How am I going to save all this money to retire? How am I going to do this? How am I going to lose the weight? How am I la, la, la. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter. Our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. All right, so continuation of episode 11. We'll call this uh, episode 11B. We told you that the epicenter of wealth, this module of connecting with people, the, the part of our wealth that I think was the epicenter of wealth is this idea of, of being able to connect with people. We wanted to make this three episodes, but this whole idea of trust was just, there's a lot there. So we've broken this into two episodes, uh, 11A and 11B. So today, we're going to continue the conversation about maintaining trust once we've established trust with this idea of five to thrive. It's what you and I refer to as the how. Yeah, the, the how we maintain trust. So once you've got that trust established, right, you've either starting from scratch, you've built a relationship that now has trust in the room. You are repairing, restoring, renewing a relationship that once had trust, maybe it was a little diminished, maybe it was a little tarnished. You polish this thing back up, and now trust is back. You've eliminated the trust gap, and now there's trust, and you have a relationship. Absolutely. How? How do we keep it? So often, how is what jumps into people's heads for, well, you know, how am I going to save all this money to retire? How am I going to do this? How am I going to lose the weight? How am I going to blah, blah, right? In the context of how do we maintain trust, the trust that we've established, this is how we do it. Yes. It's literally the elimination. It almost goes back to some of the things we've talked about with saying no more. We talk about saying no to a majority of the rules and social customs that are in place, and we simply abide by these five principles and try to live by these five principles with everything we do in life. Let's go through the five to thrive yeah. principles again. Yeah. Principle number one. Principle number one, show up prepared and on time. Principle number two. Say please, thank you, and you're welcome. Principle number three. Say what you— Do what you say. Do what you say you're going to do. There you go. And principle number four. Finish what you start. And my favorite, principle number five. When— Not if. Make, when, keyword, you make a mistake, you own it and fix it. Love it. Yeah. So, so let's, 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 yeah, let's, let's get into it. Let's, yeah, let's, let's pick them apart. Let's go into the first one, showing up on time and prepared. So we've talked in other episodes and in some of the, the special episode that we did on protecting your confidence in times of crisis. Yeah. One of the big kryptonites for me is not being prepared. I've given you a hard time on some of our little episodes here with not being prepared because either I didn't do my job or we didn't have the script ready to go and I couldn't be prepared. That's not a good place for me. When you show up on time and prepared, 
Isn't that nice? Isn't it just nice oh, when- feels great. It feels great for both parties in the transaction, well, right? If you, if you tell me you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, you maintain that trust with me by actually showing up when you say you're going to show up. Why doesn't that happen? Why did I, for so many years of my life, have the hardest time not showing up on time? I was always late. Because it was about you. Oh. It wasn't about the other person. Well, Showing I didn't, up I didn't on time, feel like it was about me. I, I had so many things I said I was going to do. Exactly. Showing up on time, and there have been many periods in my life where I haven't done as, as good a job on that as I'd like. But when you show up early or you show up on time and you're prepared, that shows a tremendous amount of respect to the other person in the transaction. Yeah. Right? And I keep saying transaction. I don't necessarily mean that in a I'm – Buying goods and services the, from you. Yeah, the transaction could be a date that I'm showing up to with my wife. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or I'm picking my dad up to take him out to dinner. So why is it that it's been so hard for me for so many years to show up on time, mm. whereas now I seem to be able to show up on time? The reason that I've always felt like I struggled to be on time was because I've always felt completely overscheduled in my life completely overcommitted, way over my skis, because I was that yes man. I could never get anywhere on time because I was just purely overwhelmed with everything I had to do in a day. I don't think anybody listening can relate to that. I always thought I was unique <laughs> with that. <laughs> I mean, our whole culture today is overscheduled, overcommitted, overwhelmed. Nobody has time. Yeah. Everybody's racing. My favorite, I think we've even talked about this in prior episodes, is the first few times, and I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'll be vulnerable, here we go, <laughs> is the whole concept of mobile coffee. So Starbucks and Pete's having mobile ordering. Wow. I am so overscheduled, overcommitted that I have to order. I don't have time to wait in line for coffee. You have to order it ahead of time. I have to order it ahead of time so I can race in because if they don't have a drive through I have to park my car, get out of my car, walk in, grab my beverage immediately and get back in my car so I can go back to my overscheduled life. Of course. right? I'm having a little fun with this. I love Starbucks. I love Pete's. I love everybody that's overscheduled. But I sure so prefer waiting in line and having a conversation with somebody than feeling completely overscheduled and overwhelmed. Well, am I allowed to have a conversation because everybody's on their iPhone looking down? Eh, hopefully we will again one day. Right. We'll get there. Yeah. Right? And so much of what we're trying to talk about here is living life intentionally. And there are certain principles that you and I are really putting one foot in front of the other every day. Do we do these perfectly every day? No, we don't, ladies and gentlemen. But we sure gosh darn try. Yeah. Well, and I think what really helped me with showing up on time and being more prepared was kind of like we've been doing in every episode up till now is going through this awareness of how I was using my time, actually writing something down and becoming aware of the things in my life that were important that I was doing every day, the things that weren't important the things that were urgent, and the things that weren't urgent. And this was something that you helped me with early on, was, was almost like developing 
on a piece of paper these four boxes. Yeah, little right? quadrant, these little, little quadrant model. Yeah, little time quadrants. That would be a little writing exercise right now that I think we should introduce is literally sitting down like you and I have done before and writing on a piece of paper, draw four boxes, right? And on the top two boxes, we have important, not important. And then on the left-hand side of the two boxes, we have urgent and not urgent. So kind of like the x-axis and the y-axis, right? Going across the top is important. We've done science lessons in the past. Now, Now ladies and gentlemen, we're doing math. Now we're doing math. Yeah. Yep. What would this fall under? Is this uh, algebra? Uh, this is uh, this is more like the Pythagorean theorem. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So on the x-axis across the top of the two boxes, yeah. we're writing important, not important. And then on the y-axis up and down, we're writing urgent, not urgent. Okay. So we should have four boxes. Box one is important and urgent. Quadrant two or box two would be not important and urgent. Box three, am I getting these right? would be important, not urgent. And then quad four, box four, would be not important, not urgent. Can you repeat that, please? Important, <laughs> important urgent, <laughs> not important urgent. So the things the things yeah. that are that are important and urgent, those are going to, you're just going to do those automatically. Yeah, you do those like, through osmosis. Yeah, you always called that the daily survival quad. Right, you show up on school on time, you got to work on time, you get home on time. Yeah, they're you the know, things I got to do I got to right pay now. the bills. Yeah. I got to go grocery shopping. If I don't get the dry cleaning, I don't have a clean shirt for the meeting tomorrow with my boss, all that stuff. Right, right. Right, the daily activities of living that you have to do. Yes. Well, then we have that second box. It's important, but not urgent. Setting up a living trust. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Reviewing my life insurance policies. Ooh, even more fun. In our world, in our vernacular, those are two of the classics. Right. They're important. They're important getting a root canal. Very important. Not Not urgent. Not urgent. No, never urgent. Until it becomes urgent. And that's so much of the problem of what goes into this second quadrant of time, this important, not urgent quadrant. And that's why we call it the back burner quadrant. It's all that important stuff we know we've got to take care of, but we never take the time to do it because it's never really urgent until it becomes urgent. And then we're scrambling. Almost like the procrastination bucket. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So box number three. Oh, this is my favorite. Yeah. We call this the sick and tired quadrant. The sick and tired quadrant. Right? It's not really important, but somehow it becomes urgent. It's the kitchen drawer that's been cluttered for weeks, months, or years that you walk by, and right now, it's got to get cleaned out. It's got to get reorganized right now. So I think for anybody that's listening, they have to be at least 40 to 45 or older to appreciate this. But my wife and I have renamed this quadrant. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we call it the Popeye quadrant. Oh. <laughs> and Popeye's old phrase was, you know, I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Right. And that's when you rip that closet apart, you rip that drawer open. We call them junk drawers. So I'm allowed to have a junk drawer in our kitchen, which is prime real estate. Oh, yeah. And Beth has a junk drawer. Now, hers is infinitely more organized than mine because mine truly is a, a junk drawer. junk drawer. Paper clips, use Band-Aids. Crumpled up tissues. Golf cards from 1994. The restaurant receipt from, you know, the Ace Hardware thing I never returned, all all that. Right. And there is about, you know, that's about a twice a year Popeye moment where that sucker comes out on a rainy Saturday. And 
shabam, it gets emptied out on the on the kitchen table, and I rifle through it. Right. And not important, but it became, not important it at became all. Urgent that day. It became urgent because I couldn't get one more thingamabob in the drawer. Yeah. And then and then there's the fourth box, the fourth quadrant. We call this the distraction or boredom quadrant. This is where we have stuff that's not very important and it's not very urgent, but yet we find ourselves doing it every day. Is it fair to say something like Netflix is in that category? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little social media trolling. Social media trolling. There you go. Maybe playing some of those little words uh, giz- with friends, much games like Candy Crush and words with friends. Yeah. So just a little mind number. Yeah. Right. A little something to. Uh, to take your mind off life. Take your mind off and just disappear. And it's not to say that this is not a quadrant of time we should occupy. There are definitely some, I mean, you and I spend a lot of time talking about rest and rehydration as an important part of just living our life. But we have to be intentional with how we allocate time to these four different quadrants of our life that we're talking about, right? The, the stuff that's important, the stuff that's urgent and important, the stuff that's urgent but not important the cleaning out the drawers, the sick and tired drawers. And then we have the not-so-important, not-so-urgent stuff that we also spend time doing. And the one that we always find ourselves not spending any time on is that important, not-urgent yeah, stuff. Yeah, box that, two. That backburner quad. And no different than if we're trying to help a client save more money, and one of the ways you save more money is by spending less. Yeah. If time is a precious resource, with which you and I would both agree is the most precious resource we have, if we're trying to get more time, we've got to itemize it. We've got to understand where it's going. Yes. And we have to prioritize it in the sense of, okay, sure, that sick and tired thing's going to happen. Beth and I do it. Our kids do it. I mean, everybody has that. Yep. I mean, I would, I would nominate that that second quadrant of the important, not urgent is where you really got to have a clear sense of just just honor the fact that you know what's on that that list. to-do list, yeah. What's on that to-do list. We have a Jeep Wrangler and as we have come to learn 7 years later, they generally leak oil. And you know what's really kind of interesting about an automobile is that it doesn't do well without oil. Hmm. I'm glad you figured that out. That's a problem. Yeah. And so they'll go we'll go a month or two and it's like Hey girls, did you? Because uh, I've taught them how to check the oil. Have you checked the oil on the on the Jeep? Oh yeah, no, Dad, I've been busy. Huh? Okay, well that's not important today, but it's going to get urgent quickly when the engine seizes up and well, we're it done. is it is important today. It's just not urgent today, and that's why it's not getting done. Well said. Yeah, we all have those projects. Totally. I have, a, I have a fence that's falling down. I've got flooring that needs to be fixed in my house. These are all important. They just they never seem to be urgent until they are. And that's the whole point of this exercise is really about becoming aware of the important, not urgent stuff that we're not addressing and the not important, not urgent stuff we are spending our time doing. Because that's ultimately that fourth quadrant is where the time is going to come from to be able to address some of these things that are important. To reallocate. Right. So that ultimately we can show up on time to the things we want to show up to. And we're prepared. And we're prepared. Absolutely. It's just awareness about our time and how we spend it. Sure. So let's go into the second principle. And we kind of got these out of order when we first started. We did, but that's how we keep our listeners on point. point. So we've talked about showing up on time and prepared. Let's now talk about do what you say, because these go together. We say what we're going to do, but yet I know for me, I often struggled with actually doing what I said I was going to do 
because of this idea of being always overcommitted, overscheduled, overwhelmed, never having time to actually do the things I said I was going to do. Well, let's let's try this. Let's try this. Okay. Do you trust somebody that doesn't do what they say they're going to do? No, I don't. I don't. I've learned just being a parent, being a little league coach, that I believe what you do, not what you say. There's more trust when I see your behaviors and your actions versus what you might tell me, especially if you're somebody who doesn't do what you say you're going to do. So if you're making, in a simpler way of saying it, if you're making a promise to someone, yeah, I'm going to pick you up at 6 o'clock and we're going to go have ice cream. And then you don't pick them up at 6 o'clock. It's the whole little boy that cried wolf story is if you do that long enough, there's not going to be any trust in the relationship. Right. You're not going to be able to keep the trust. So we don't have to really overburden this one because it's pretty darn simple. Do what you say you're going to do. Right. If you've got a mess in aisle nine and you and you said you're going to go clean it up, go clean it up. Whether this be parenting, whether this be working in an office or in a any anywhere. Tell the story about Emily's County Swim Meet. I love when you tell that story about doing what you say you're going to do. I love when you tell that story about Emily's County Swim Meet. Honoring this idea of doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. It was a family vacation. And then you promised the family. Yeah, our daughter, our oldest daughter is a swimmer. She's been a swimmer since she was a guppy. (laughs) And with four kids and activities and summer being a very busy time, perhaps the busiest time in our house is summer, we like to take at least one family vacation. We were traveling with our good friends, Paul and Joanna and their girls, who hopefully are listening. So a little shout out to uh, our besties. And We start to plan the trip many months in advance because we have our schedule and their schedule and everybody's busy. So we identified two different weekends that were possible. And Emily at the time was probably 14 or 15 years old. The summer trip was going to be going away with the siblings, and it was either going to be on one of two major swim meets. Mm. The county swim meet being the ultimate rec swimming achievement and she would make county in a couple strokes and we had promised we had said that we were going to go on a family vacation with paul and joanne and the girls so we sat down and we had a family conversation which was okay we have to make a hard choice but we want to deliver on the promise of having the family vacation Mm -hmm. we're going to skip the county swim meet (gasps) what and a hush falls over the room I Over mean, the whole community, probably. Well, there was a little bit of commentary on what do you mean the, the, the Gebhardt kids aren't going to be at the county swim meet? And we did what we said we were going to do because it fell on one of these two weekends, and that was that's what we did. I get a little soapboxy on this stuff just because it's a wonderful way to demonstrate leadership, going back to what you said earlier about watching what you do, not what you say. So the, the kids got to see us actually make the hard choice. I mean, okay, yeah, hard choice. We get to go on vacation. But she was building toward wanting to have a swimming career past high school. Sure. And you don't miss meets you don't miss, for vacation. You don't miss meets for vacation, and you certainly don't miss the county swim meet for vacation. But you put family we, first. We put family first because that's what we had promised to do with everybody. Wow. That couldn't have been easy. It wasn't, but once we all kind of unified around it and we made a, a family decision and we got, we got 
Emily's buy-in and and some of the other kids that were going to be swimming in in that meet, yeah, it was okay. That for you and your family to be grounded in that decision, your actions meant a lot more than words. That wow, the Gebhards do what they say they're going to do, and that's honor the family, and that the family comes first. The family comes before other commitments. How would our friends Paul and Joe have felt? Oh, would have totally if we had said. Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go to the county swim meet, even though we've committed to you six months in advance. On probably would have damaged the trust in your relationship. Bingo, a bit. that's where I'm going. Yeah, well, it brings up another paradox. You and I talk about these paradoxes. We talked about the concept of empathy being an ultimate paradox, where at one point maybe we don't have the capacity to breathe in other people's gas, but the paradox is it actually gets us out of our own head. This idea of being able to first show up on time and prepared, and actually then Principle number two, do what you say, requires us to develop this relationship with a word called no. It's a chapter we wrote about in the book, Say No More. You bet. And what Another we, muscle. The ability to create trust and keep trust and follow through on these five to thrive principles are directly connected to one's ability to learn how to say no. That's how we wind up not being overcommitted, overscheduled, overwhelmed. I was that guy that volunteer, just like you were, who said yes to everything, everything. I could possibly sign up for and help. Yeah. I want people to like me. Of course. I want people to like me. But by saying yes to everything, I was overcommitted, overscheduled, overwhelmed, and could never show up on time or follow through and do what I say I was going to do. How'd that work out? It was pretty awful. Yeah. Left me pretty lonely. But everybody liked you. Yeah. At least that's what it felt like. But looking at the guy in the mirror, not so much? Not so much. Yeah. Looking at my relationships at home, not so much. Yeah. So this idea of learning how to develop a relationship with no, actually giving ourselves permission to say no to anything that doesn't serve what's most important to me in my life, to my most important relationships with myself, with my people, and with my money. And because when you do say no to something, it's that whole freedom from freedom to. So by saying no to this engagement, this commitment— you are saying no to that, which is giving you freedom from that responsibility to go out to ice cream at 6 o'clock. Right. The freedom from saying no to the county swim meet, which would have made a lot of other people happy, and you would have spent an entire weekend on a pool deck going through newsweather sports kinds of conversations with people. By saying no to that, that gave you the freedom from that experience of satisfying a big group of others and it gave you the freedom to bond with your family. Yeah. And do what you said you were going to do with some of your closest friends, which is be together. Love it. It's awesome. Okay, principle number three. Finish what you start. Finish what you start. Ooh. Finish what you start. I've had lots of projects that I've started. Well, we all have. We all have. Whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it, whatever it is. Diets. Diets. New savings plan. Saving, I was going to say savings plan. All those New Year's resolutions. I start so many different things, it feels like, and yet so many things seem to go unfinished in life. Completion. Finish what you start. Get to completion. Why Why is that? Right? I mean, you, you and I have- What gets in the way? Yeah. Why do I start a thousand different things and never seem to finish any of them? What is it that shows up? Well, our friend, uh, our dear old friend, Resistance shows up. Oh, we're going to bring Resistance back into the conversation. Yeah. Wasn't resistance that enemy we talked about 
back in the financial planning modules when we were talking about the blueprint, that big thing that could derail our entire blueprint was this thing called resistance. This is when we cue the heavy the <laughs> the Darth Vader music. The Darth Vader villain yeah. music. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. And resistance takes any form and shape. Could be weather. Could be money. Could be health. Could be all kinds of different things that get in the way. Could be an argument that throws you off and you don't leave it out there and then it started, it was out in the rain and then it got rusty and then you'd throw it away. Hmm. Whatever it is. It's the environment we're in right now. I mean, yeah. fin finish what you start. How many people Whew. started a new business in 2019 and all of a sudden coronavirus and shows up, the economy comes to a complete halt, resistance has shown up. In perhaps the most severe way we've seen it in our generation. Yeah. Oh, resistance can be subtle or it can hit you like a two by four and it'll keep you from finishing what you start. So great little exercise here. So bust out that same journal or however you're keeping notes and doing some of the uh, the projects and homework on how has resistance shown up for you? That's kept you from finishing what you start. Exactly. At home, at the office, at the gym. So we were talking about Emily and swimming. Well, the movie ending to that story is she is now a college swimmer. This coronavirus has kept her out of the pool for five weeks. Wow. Not so good, right? Doesn't feel good. Yeah. She's not able to train. And she feels as though she's behind. And I try to remind her that, well, guess what? You're not alone. Resistance in her world relative to her focus and her dedication and her, and her devotion to her craft of swimming has stopped it completely. So, okay, let's adapt and adjust. You and I talk a lot about how human beings are the most amazing creatures in the, in the history of any species on adapting and adjusting. Sure. So she's been running. So she's been doing other cardio and, and ab workouts to maintain her core strength and do other things so that when she hits the pool again. She hasn't given up. No, she hasn't given up. Okay. So no, no, she no, no, is no, going no. to finish what she started, which is this commitment to be a swimmer. Absolutely. And no matter what kind of resistance shows up, she's going to figure out a way to train and push further. And she's getting creative with her teammates and they're getting online talking about what they're doing and having accountability partners. She and her sister, her sister's a lacrosse player. That's a little different. She's still able to get outside and practice shooting in the goal in the backyard, but there's all the pools are closed. Sure. Oh, man. I, For me, so many times, not finishing what I start was like this little voice in my head. Oh, yeah. You can't do that. You're a loser. You're a loser. You yeah. suck. You're a loser. <laughs> It wasn't a whisper for me. It was more of a oh yeah mine. of a of a of that no, high pitched voice. You mine, suck. Mine was the scary whisper, the mm. the whisper voice of you suck. Boy, that kind of resistance does suck. You no good, worthless piece of you know what. We may have to deal with that in a couple episodes. That's coming. That resistance is brutal. Yeah. So when you're able to actually finish what you start, and sometimes it might have to be small. Mm -hmm. Like, I did not feel like exercising yesterday, but I had told myself I was going for a walk. I was going to go for a walk just myself, go out for 45 minutes, and I finished what I started. It, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And I felt so much better the rest of the day. So I mean, it can be just something like that, right? Sure. Just 
You made a commitment to yourself. Finish what you started when you woke up this morning. Sure. I cooked myself a meal this morning before I came here. And I could have very easily left the kitchen a disaster when I left the house. But I finished what I started. I cleaned up after my mess. And that's going to create and keep more trust in my household than if I just ran through the kitchen, made a meal, and left it a mess Bombed and decided it. to deal with it later. Right. Absolutely. Right. Finish what you start. All right. Let's go on to the next principle. This, this is what we originally said was principle number two. But for now, it's principle number four. Say please, thank you, and you're welcome. Please. And just let's just jump right in with, with your your Starbucks order. Yeah. So I just I just love this. It's a great way to demonstrate it. Well, we've all been online waiting for a cup of coffee at our favorite coffee shop, and we've all seen this in line. We've all seen somebody walk up to the coffee person. Yeah, I'll have a uh, half-calf, double-calf mochaccino, uh, half-calf decaf, and uh, give, me, uh, give me a couple of them vanilla scones. How does that make you feel? Like I'm watching Goodfellas. When you see that. <laughs> right? Like it's a scene out of Goodfellas. What would happen if instead we said, may I please have a half-calf, no-calf, decaf, no-foam, skinny latte? And may I also please have two vanilla scones? How does the person on the other end of the counter react differently when we present our order that way than when we just bark it out at them? I think it shows a tremendous sign of respect. They feel better about the transaction. They feel as though they're adding some... some there's a connection. There's a connection and they have some worth to the transaction, not just a... You know, hey, give me a uh, a cheeseburger and a fries and um, one of those extra big drinks. Exactly. May I please have? You're, you you don't feel as though there's a, yeah you don't feel any value. Again, we're talking about how we maintain trust with people in the world, and rather than barking orders of what we want, can we simply ask, "May I please have?" And then when we receive it, a very simple statement. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Thank you. And then when somebody says thank you to me, validating that gratitude with a simple statement of you're welcome. This doesn't really have to be that complicated. But it doesn't. It's not. The world, it's the, the world, simplest stuff in the world. It is the simplest stuff. And we get a little overbearing with our kids on this stuff when we're out to dinner and the server comes. One of the kids might say, you know, I'll have a, a cheese case. Okay, no, 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 no. Start over. Yep. Oh, and they snap out of it real quick. Yep. Oh, may I please have a cheese quesadilla? There is nothing harder to do in life than be the parent of teenagers. The hardest experience I've ever had is being the parent of teenagers. I have so much pride when I go out to eat with my teenagers, no matter how difficult I'm having a time with my boys, to be able to sit in a restaurant and watch them turn their head, no matter how heated the debate is at the table, and watch them go, may I please have. It's just ingrained in them. So awesome. I love it. So please thank you and you're welcome. Powerful. Make it part of your daily habit. Absolutely. Principle number five, my favorite. When you make a mistake, own it and fix it. So think of this, first of all, as a customer service philosophy. Right. <laughs> so Nordstrom is always considered to be one of the gold standards of customer service. I, I, I'll never forget, I was probably... 28, 30 years old, I had bought a pair of sunglasses from Nordstrom. I'd had them for years, like four or five years. Love these things. 
They were part of my persona. And as luck would have it, I sat on them one day, snapped the arm off, walked into Nordstrom, and I said, uh, I, don't, I don't know where you sent these uh, out for repair, but I, I broke them. I broke them. And I'd like to, oh, no, please, by all means, just here. And they handed me a new pair. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want a new pair. I'd just like to have them repaired. I broke them, and they insisted, yeah. right? They went beyond. They totally went beyond. That whole customer service philosophy of when you make a mistake, own it, and fix it. I can't tell you in our business how many times when I've made a mistake, you've made a mistake, one of our teammate, teammates have made a mistake, when you own up to it and you fix it, regardless of the-, of the Irregardless. Irregardless, thank you, of yeah. the financial repercussions or, or consequence. Yeah. So in our business- Oh, don't misunderestimate the power of fixing a mistake. Thank you, Kevin. When it comes to building and keeping a relationship with a client. So I've had numerous times in my career where- Let's pretend you're a client, we're at a backyard barbecue, and you take me aside and you say, hey, I want to buy 100 shares of XYZ stock on Monday. Back then, I used to just accept that order, and there were a number of times, I think two to be exact, where I didn't do that on Monday morning because I forgot. Yeah, you forgot. Sure. And then, of course, the stock went up a gazillion that week, and I'm thinking of one, one dear friend of ours where it cost me $5,000. Wow. Wow. But when you own it and you fix it and you admit it and then you you fix it with the client, that client's not going to go anywhere. No. Why is it that we always struggle with owning our own mistakes? Why is it that we're always trying to come up with excuses? I mean, I could never own my own mistakes. I always came up with excuses. Oh, someone on my team, their head's going to roll. I can't believe they screwed that up. What is it that we're so afraid of? Accountability. If you're the leader of the team, if you're the leader of the organization, guess what? The accountability is – it stops with you. I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's more than accountability. I think it has to do with the ego. We don't want to get our egos bruised. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. I absolutely get you. I totally get that. Yeah. It's beyond not being accountable. It's just – Sure. You don't, you're going to take a little sting for being a uh, – for screwing up. Absolutely. I mean, we, we just had this. My uh, son and I were on a nice little trip before this whole thing started with my parents in Puerto Rico. And he made a comment to me at breakfast on our last day in Puerto Rico. He said, hey, Dad, uh, what time are we going to get home? And I told him that uh, flight's probably going to land about 9 o'clock tonight. And he just exploded. Dad, you told me we were going to get home at 6. You didn't tell me 9 o'clock. I made all these plans with friends, and, and now I can't do what I want to do with my friends. Inside of me, I wanted to get on him about that. But you know what? I made a mistake. I told him the wrong time. And instead, what I did was I looked at him and I said, gosh, buddy, I am so sorry. I would be frustrated too. What can I do to fix it? And? It's okay, Dad. Just, you know, next time, if you, if you find out that the time changes, just tell me. Right. right. So you owned it? You, I, you, you I owned, owned it up and to I it. offered to fix it. And what, you offered what, to fix it. What can I do to fix it? And instead of having to be right with him... No, no, I told you it was 9 o'clock. I didn't tell you or completely blowing it off. Instead, I validated his feelings. I owned it. I gave you the wrong time, and I made an offer to fix it. And it's it, just a simple, silly little example of interacting with my kid where my ego didn't want the damage. My ego didn't want the bruise of being wrong in front of my 16-year-old kid. But instead, I put that aside. I owned my mistake, and I made an offer to fix it, and it made the situation so much easier.
these five principles are are the best that we've ever seen. They're simple. They're simple to remember, and they're powerful because once you've established that trust, let's go back to a very conventional kind of client relationship. You have a repeat customer, which is the difference between a client and a customer. A customer is a one-timer. A client is a repeat customer. In order to maintain that trust, if you're my client and I'm 30 minutes late and I don't give you any kind of a courtesy call to let you know I'm running 30 minutes late and you're sitting there waiting and then I'm not prepared for the meeting, that doesn't feel very good for you. No, it's, right? that's going to turn a client into a customer. That's going to that's gonna <laughs> erode yeah. some of the trust in the relationship. Yeah. And then the whole concept of doing what you say you're going to do. So we have a meeting and we finish up and we have all these different thoughts and action items. And then you don't do what you say you're going to do. Trust erodes even further. There you go. So now we don't finish what we start, which those are, those kind of go a little bit hand in hand with me. Yep. We don't say please, thank you, or you're welcome. And in the context of, in this case, not showing up on time and prepared and not doing what you say you're going to do, you don't own it, fix it. That client's, that's a goner. Well, eventually you're going to make a mistake and you probably won't own it and fix it and the client's going to leave us. But instead, what we're trying to paint a picture of here is a world in where we eliminate all the rules and we try to live by these five principles. Show up on time and prepared. Do what you say. Finish what you start. Say, please, thank you. You're welcome. And when you make a mistake, own it and fix it. If you do these things, we have learned, not only will you establish the trust through what we've talked about in prior episodes, but now you'll keep the trust. You'll maintain the trust. Just think for a minute how much better our world would be if we all lived by these five principles of Five to Thrive. Beautiful. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance.